take a few moments tonight to look at some things from it. I don't know about you all, but I've enjoyed the day today so far, and thank the Lord for it. And, um, and uh, isn't it wonderful that we get an opportunity every week to come and meet together on a regular basis and spend time with the Lord? And I like the music that we sing and how it lifts the Lord Jesus Christ up. And certainly been a joy today, man, to be around the fellowship of God's people. And uh, I enjoy the time we get to spend together, don't you? Uh, I was talking to Brother Everett after the service today. I told him, I said, well, Lord willing, we'll see you tonight unless the rapture happens. And then I'll see you a little bit sooner. But uh, I said, today would be a good day for the rapture. And he said, Brother Greg, any day is a good day for the rapture. <laughs> Amen. And we're looking forward to that day. And uh, I told him the only day that is better than another for the rapture to happen is today. Today would certainly be better than tomorrow, wouldn't it? And uh, looking forward to that time. I don't know about you all, but the closer it gets, the more excited I get about it. And the older I get, the more excited I get about it. I remember as a kid thinking, well, I, you know, I want to live life, you know, before the Lord comes back. And I want to be able to do all these things, you know, and get a job and do all this stuff now as I'm older and I've done some of that stuff I thought I don't know what the big deal was I wish the Lord would have just come on back and uh, I think we'd have had a lot more fun in heaven and uh, I don't know about y'all but I'm looking forward to that day I really am I hope we I hope we live with eternity in view and uh, looking forward to that great great day when the Lord's going to return and uh, if he chooses not to come back in our lifetime we still have a lot to be excited about don't we I don't know that I'm excited about the mode of going through the process of dying, but I'm excited about what's going to be on the other side. And uh, I don't like necessarily the pain and all that has to come with going through dying, but uh, I am thankful that we've got something that is well worth it on the other side of it. And looking forward to it. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what. I, and I used to, I, you know, my, my joy and the appeal of heaven to me when I was younger uh, was all the things that heaven had. I'd read about it, you know, the gates of pearl and the, the uh, uh, walls of jasper and the uh, streets of gold and all the, 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 the crystal flowing river, you know, the, the uh, tree that bears fruit every month, the different fruit, and uh, all these different things that I just read about. And, I th- and then to see angels. Boy, that's going to be exciting to see angels and uh, to hear the, the heavenly choirs sing. Could you imagine... What kind of voices we're all going to have in heaven one day. Uh, we had our men's advance two weeks ago, and uh, I, we were going to try to sing a song, and we only sang one. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm thankful we get to heaven. We're going to get to sing pretty, amen? And uh, it's going to make it a, a, a wonderful time together. Uh, I don't know about you all. There's certain singers that I hear today that I want to stand next to them in choir and uh, just so I'll look a lot better when I'm singing in heaven one day. But, you know, we'll all have wonderful voices there. And uh, looking forward to being able to sing praises to the Lord. And uh, doesn't music lift your hearts up like that sometimes? But you know what's going to make heaven heaven is getting to be with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's what today excites me more than ever. And I, you know, I wonder often when I read or sing some of the songs that Fanny Crosby wrote uh, in our hymn book how much she loved her precious Savior. And, boy, she wrote a lot about heaven and turning your eyes upon Jesus, you know, and uh, looking full in his wonderful face. Uh, and uh, the idea of uh, one of my favorite songs, I want it played at my funeral if, if I go through a dying process here in this earth, is blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What a song that is. 
I love that second verse. It says, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Uh, perfect, or, I'm sorry, perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. And I wonder what she was thinking as she penned those words. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight, thinking of that wonderful Savior that she had. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy and whispers of love. And boy, I'll tell you what, I, I love those things. As I get older, I get more excited about seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. And to me, that's what heaven's going to be. That's, that's what I look forward to. I, I'm thankful I'll see my loved ones. I've got grandpas and uncles and aunts and, and my dad in heaven. I've got friends that I've said goodbye to. And, and I, I think I, I would look forward to being able to see them again. I, I know our relationships will be different in heaven than they are here in this earth. But certainly we look forward to seeing them again. And the Bible says that we will know even as we are known. And the fact that there will be some recognition of the fact that we knew each other here in this, this world. To what level that is, I'm not sure. But uh, certainly the relationship I'm looking forward to is being able to see my Savior for the very first time. And uh, to thank you. Face to face to thank you what he's done for me and boy isn't that going to be wonderful man I, I, I heard I heard a preacher talk one time and he said you know he said in this life when there are famous people people that are well uh, well known and have done great things for humanity he said we've learned over the years that to give them honor and to give them praise many times you give them what we refer to as a standing ovation. And to get a standing ovation is a, a great honor in the life that we live. And I heard him make this statement, this comparison. He said, so often when there are men that we want to honor and praise in this life, we applaud. And if they are men of great stature and honor, we give standing ovations. We all rise to our feet. But when we get, when we get to heaven and we stand before our Savior... All of our knees are going to bow. And I don't know about you, but I think we're going to feel a lot like some of the Old Testament saints did when they saw an angel or they saw God in a human form. That they will fall down and they could not even speak because of the wonder of being in the presence of the Savior. And boy, I'll tell you, I'm getting excited about it. The more I talk about it, the more I just want it to go ahead and happen tonight. Amen? I'd much rather go in the rapture than dive anyway, wouldn't you? Well, anyway, we could talk about heaven all night long. Let's look at Psalm 100 tonight and just want to share a few thoughts. It's not a, not a uh, real lengthy message. It's not one that's got a uh, very detailed outline. But a few thoughts uh, tonight that will hopefully lift our hearts a little bit and encourage us. We're going to read the entire psalm, then we'll go to the Lord in prayer and bring the message this evening. The psalmist writes, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, 
and his truth endureth to all generations. Father, we come to you tonight, Lord, I ask for the next few moments that you would control our hearts and our thoughts. Lord, we do love you tonight. We love you an awful lot. And look forward to that day where we'll get to see you and spend eternity with you. And while we get to walk with you in this life, Lord, it's not even to be compared to the joys that are laid out before us as we look forward to eternity with you in your presence. We thank, thank you for the opportunity to have salvation, that you've allowed us the great privilege of just simply putting our trust in you and having our sins put behind us and that we can uh, have a hope of eternal life and the idea that we can spend all of eternity with you. Lord, what an amazing miracle that is. We're very grateful for it tonight. We're thankful for who you are. And Lord, that you allowed us to have the benefit of your love and your mercy and your grace. And Lord, when we understand and look and ponder and meditate on who you are and who we are, Lord, our hearts never cease to be amazed at the wonder of why you ever bothered with us. Father, we're so grateful tonight as a people. I pray that you would help these thoughts and ponderings and meditations as we dwell on them and walk with you to draw our hearts closer to you daily. That there will be a tenderness in our hearts and a desire and a passion to please you and to serve you with our lives. Not because we have to, not because we've been commanded to, but Father, because we want to. Because we love you with all of our hearts. I pray that you would draw us to you. Lord, as we look forward, as this church has some time before it yet to do your work, I pray that you would allow us out of a motivation of love for you and a motivation of a burden and a brokenheartedness toward the lost, that you would help us to be diligent in doing the work you've called us to do of sharing the gospel. And I pray that you'll bless the time we spend around your word together. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit will guide us. Direct us in all truth tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look to this psalm, it's one of those ones that as a kid we memorized in summer camp. And a fairly short psalm, but one that's been a very popular psalm. One that brings a lot of joy to our hearts. And one that I've used as a song director for many years to encourage people to sing. And a lot of people say, well, I can't sing. And I... You'd say, you know what, it's, it's a good thing God didn't tell us to make a beautiful noise unto the Lord. Amen. Uh, the only requisite that God puts on singing is that it's a joyful noise. And I don't know about you, but I think that every person can make a joyful noise. Even if you're tone deaf and can't, can't sing a, a lick, I think we can all make a joyful noise. And therefore, we can all fulfill what God's told us to do in this psalm. But there's a verse in this psalm I want us to start with because I believe it is the heart and the core of everything that surrounds it. The verses leading up to it, the verses that follow it, all seem to bracket like bookends this truth that we find in the middle of this particular psalm. If you will, I'd like us to start in verse number 3 because I believe it is the nucleus, it's the, it's the seed, if you will, of the, uh, of the peach. It's the thing that is the, kind of the core of this particular psalm that everything else hinges on. As the psalmist makes this declaration in verse number 3, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And we find several things in this verse. This morning we spoke of Aaron's sons who brought strange fire before the Lord. And the fact that 
their uh, lack of reverence for God and their, their, uh, their desire to bring forth that which God had not commanded them to bring forth and how often there seems to be in the day and age that we live a lack of reverence for a holy God. Uh, we look at God today and even among Christians many times we are guilty of, of downplaying God when we talk to those that we don't believe are in full agreement with our views and beliefs on God. We begin to downplay Him and we try to say, well, uh, you know, I, I know He's not for everybody. And we begin to talk about Him in, in general terms and we begin to kind of bring Him down to human level if we're not careful. And the truth of the matter is there are churches that met all over the country today and all over the world today that allowed this, uh, this idea of humanizing God and bringing Him down to man's level and causing him to be portrayed as uh, some good old boy, some buddy-buddy of ours. I remember uh, years ago listening to uh, a fellow that if I mentioned his name in this service, many people in our church service would be familiar with who he is. And he claimed that he had had uh, a vision of uh, going to heaven. In fact, he claimed that he personally, bodily went to heaven and uh, that uh, he had been transfigured there and, or transformed up into that place. And that for a period of time, he and Jesus walked arm in arm and hand in hand. I tuned in one day and was listening to him. He had a three-day or two-day seminar on uh, his, his uh, trip that he took to heaven, supposedly. And uh, millions of people, or thousands of people at least, have heard that testimony and tuned into that story. And I remember sitting there listening to him and trying to uh, understand what in the world this fellow was talking about as he... Uh, was describing what it was like. And I remembered thinking that if you'd ever seen the scene from The Wizard of Oz of the uh, the folks when they break out into the poppy field and looking forward to the Emerald City, and he began to describe heaven that way, that there was a big field and you could see heaven off in the distance and how they were walking through these meadows and these fields and how he talked with God and people began to ask this man some questions about it. One of them was, why did you come back? If you were already in heaven, if you had gone up to uh, heaven to be with Jesus like Enoch did when he was walking with God, why did you come back? And he made this statement. He said, Jesus put his arm around me and said, I need you to go back on earth because I need you to do my work on earth. And I began to think as he made that statement, I thought, you know, there's not a man that's been created that God needs. God can do anything He wants to do and can choose to use anything that He created to do His work. And for some of us to be so arrogant in our minds as to belittle or to cause God to have limitations that He is relying and dependent upon man, I believe many times is putting God or bringing God down to a level. He's bringing God to a man's level. I'm thankful that God chooses to need us. I'm glad he chooses to allow man to do his work. But rest assured, there is no lack of ability on God's part to accomplish his work even outside of man. And the psalmist says here, as we get to verse number three, that there's something that every person needs to know. There's something that is foundational to everything else in this psalm. That if we don't nail this piece of information down, if we don't nail this truth down and have it as something that is unshakable and, and firm foundation, then everything else in this psalm is meaningless. And that is this. Know ye that the Lord, 
He is God. He's the King of all kings. And He's the Lord of all lords. And when we look at God, and I think so often when I thought of the message even this morning of how these young men who I'm sure were well-intentioned, I don't believe they were really going out of their way to do something that they thought was wrong. I believe they were sincere. I just don't believe that they had a right reverence for God. They didn't, they didn't look at the things that God had given them as something to be revered and something to, to be awed over. And there ought to still be a reverence for God. In the day and age that we live, there ought to still be an awe that we have. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The idea that man needs to have a, a healthy fear of the Lord Jesus Christ once again, and God Himself. Because the truth of the matter is, we don't see God as He really is. In our human minds, we tend to have Him in a finite way. And as I've said so often before, and we've quoted it from the book that uh, A.W. Tozer wrote, Knowledge of the Holy, whatever we think God to be, He is not. It doesn't matter how far we can think of God. Once we get to the furthest that we can think of God and think we've exhausted all that human mind can come up and comprehend, we haven't even begun to describe God. And the psalmist starts off this passage, or builds this passage, this psalm, around this truth. Know ye that the Lord is... He is God. Then I want you to notice a couple things that he says about this. Because he is God, and look with me at verse number 3. The Bible says, It is he that hath made us, and he goes on to say, as if it is necessary. We could have ended with, It is he that hath made us, and that would have made perfect sense, and we would have had no misunderstanding with what the psalmist was saying here. But notice that he adds to it, And not we ourselves. I've been puzzled as I read some of that, because... I believe that every word of Scripture that God gives us is there on purpose and not by mistake. It's not something that God has uh, was sitting in heaven one day and thought, boy, I, I need to fill up some pages. I watch my kids as they're going through school, being homeschooled. And my daughter, who's a very good student, does not like writing. That's her least favorite thing. And when it comes to English, and she has a term paper that's, can you hold your seats, 300 words long. Wow, 300 words. She says more than that texting before breakfast. But she can't come up with 300 words in two weeks of an English paper. 300 words long she's got to come up with this. And she struggles with writing things. And so when she writes, she tries to be flowery in her language. And you remember how when we were kids and we had to write certain things and we would write the word very as often as we could. It was very, very good. It was very wonderful. And it was very, very, and we would just continue to use the word very or words like it to fill up the number of words that we needed. Can I tell you this? God did not do that with Scripture. And when God gave us Scripture, He intended for every word to be in there because every word of God is profitable to us for doctrine and reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Amen. And uh, we find here that the psalmist pins these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is He that hath made us, and He's making a declaration and pointing us to God and saying, He is all in all. He's the one that is all-powerful. He's the one that has all of the authority in our lives. And then He turns the focus and He puts it on us. And He says, and not we ourselves. And we see that the psalmist has such a vision 
of who God is and who He is. In fact, we find that theme quite a bit in the Psalms, don't we? As the psalmist lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he realizes that he's nothing but dust. And why in the world would God take interest in mankind? And he looks at this relationship, and he makes the comparison, or if you will, the contrast, that it was God who made us, and not we ourselves, lest we should be lifted above measure, lest we should have pride in our own hearts that we are what we are because we've just really pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps or we've uh, had the character, we've built ourselves into what's called a self-made man. Can I tell you, there's not a self-made man in the, in the world because were it not for the glory of God and the grace of God working in a man's life, he would be nothing in this life. The psalmist makes this contrast as he says, not only is the Lord God, but it's He that made us and not we ourselves. And because of this, and as we understand this truth, there are some implications that must take place when we realize this truth. Look with me in verse number 3. Because of the fact that He is the one that made us and not we ourselves, the psalmist goes on to say, we are his people. And I want you to notice that this is a possessive statement. This is something where the psalmist is saying, God made you, not you. Therefore, you belong to who? To Him. You're His. By the way, you're not yours. I've heard young people, as I've dealt with young people over the years, say, Well, I want to live my life. It's not your life, it's His. I've heard adults that say, well, I want to do what I want to do. And as I get older, as I get done doing all the things in this life that I want to do, then I'll turn to God and I'll begin to do some things. I've had relatives I've talked to. I've had friends that I've talked to that have made statements similar to this. That I'll do what I want to do. When I get done with all these things in life that I think will bring joy and happiness to me, then I'll give the rest of my life and what's left over to God. Can I tell you this? Your life is not your own. Because it was Him that made us and not us, we are His people. We belong to Him. And then I want you to notice the position that He has. Not only does He own us, but I want you to notice also that He says we are the sheep of His pasture. And here He uses a picture of position, not of ownership, but of leadership. And the idea that the shepherd has absolute authority and right over the sheep. Notice what he says here, and I love this in verse number 3. And the sheep of, what's the next word? His pasture. We're on this earth because of the grace of God. It doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Him. We are to be His sheep and to follow after the shepherd. And as a sheep hears the shepherd's voice and follows after him, you and I are supposed to follow after him. The psalmist had a very unique position in writing this in that he fully understood the role of a shepherd. In fact, he's the one that God used to write one of the most beautiful psalms that I think exists in Psalm 23 as he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. And I want you to notice this is what the shepherd does right here. He says, Thy rod 
and thy staff, they comfort me. It's interesting to me that the shepherd carried with him a staff, a rod, if you will, and took a shepherd's staff. These were not two separate instruments, but they were used for two separate purposes. The, the shepherd's crook or the shepherd's staff was used as they would walk along the narrow paths to guide and to direct. And many times the stick would be used to nudge against the shoulder and to keep the, the sheep in the, in the realm of where they needed to go. There were times when a sheep would get off the course and would wander into a thicket, into a place where he would get stuck or fall over a ledge, that many times the, the shepherd could use the crook of the staff to reach down and lift that sheep up. And aren't we glad today that the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes along with his staff and he begins to, to nudge us along the way and to keep us in the path that's so narrow and so straight. And that there are times when we wander away and get off of the path that we fall and maybe get in a thicket or fall off a ledge that he reaches down and picks us up and puts us on the right path again. And we're glad of that position of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, are we not? We're the sheep. Of his pasture. But the Bible says in Psalm 23. Not only is the staff a comfort to us. But it uses this phrase. And I love this. And I didn't see this for many many years. But it says his rod. His rod. And the psalmist said that the rod and the staff. They both are a comfort to us. But the rod was when the staff became a correcting instrument. There were times that the sheep would need to be disciplined and the staff that thing that nurtured and guided and directed and was there to bring comfort and to rescue was also used to discipline when the sheep would wander too far from the shepherd too often and get into trouble in the old days they would take the sheep and they would lay them in the left arm of the shepherd and he would hold the two front legs with his hand and with his staff this thing that he loved and cared and nurtured the sheep with he would swipe it across the front legs and break the legs of the sheep. He would then tenderly wrap them up in clothing, like swaddling clothes and different things of, uh, of, that would keep it clean and keep it whole and, and splint them. And there was a, 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 a pocket that was sewed many times into the vesture of a shepherd. And they would take that sheep and they would place it under their left arm in this pocket in their coat with the head sticking out of the cloak. And they would carry that sheep for days on end until his bones were mended. I was listening to this story being told one time, and they made the statement that he was so close to the shepherd's heart that after the sheep's legs healed and they laid him back down on the ground and let him begin to walk, that he never walked more than a few feet away from the shepherd. And I thought of that story as I read those words in Psalm 23, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And while we don't like the chastening from God, isn't it wonderful to know that the chastening of God brings us back into fellowship with Him? It causes us to be drawn closer to the Savior. And while we don't enjoy the suffering of chastening, we're thankful for it, aren't we? I remember the last time I got a whipping from my dad. I was 17 years old and I had back-talked my mama. And boy, I'll tell you, there was something you did not do in the Boer home, and that was back-talk mama. You could do a lot of things. But if you back talk mama, you, I, I would have better, I'd have been better off burning the house to the ground than back talking my mom. I, I, I could have wrecked every car we had and totaled them out and not been as in much trouble as I would have been for back talking my mom. 
And I remember my dad was on a scaffolding outside that house that day, and he was pressure spraying the house. And my mom had told me to get dressed. It was a Saturday, and to get dressed and go out there and help my dad because he was hot and tired, and he was out there pressure spraying by himself. And I remember making some smart aleck comment that a 17-year-old makes, joking around with her, but it was smart nonetheless. And I heard her say, go to your room. I was 17 years old. I was almost a full-grown man. And I thought, I, can, I don't have to do this. I could have left home. I could have got my own place. And I'll be honest with you. I was making enough money, I probably could have made a go of it. But that was my mom. And I sat there in that room waiting for her to go out and tell my dad. And he climbed down off that scaffold. And he came in that room. And as he did so many other times before, he sat down on the bed next to me. We had a talk. And then he said, Greg, bend over the bed, 17 years old. Can you imagine having to bend over bed? The pain of that belt was nothing to be compared to the humility and the embarrassment that that caused. I remember leaning over that bed and tearing up before my dad ever gave me one lick. And at that point, the belt really didn't hurt. But every time that belt fell, my heart broke. I'd never experienced that. In all the whippings I'd had in all my life, I'd never experienced that kind of response. I remember standing up from that whip, and it had been a year or better since I'd had one before that. I remember standing up from that whipping, and I turned around and hugged my dad's neck. And I remember telling him, thank you. Thank you. Because it was a comfort to me. That chastening drew my heart so close to my mom and dad. And while I did not enjoy it, it brought humiliation. It certainly brought embarrassment. And I'm not proud to tell that story. But I'm thankful for the result of it. And I am telling you tonight that there are times we go through the chastening hand of God. And it's not enjoyable And it brings humility, doesn't it? And it may even bring some embarrassment in our life. But oh, the joy of fellowship when it's all over. The psalmist builds this psalm around verse 3 as he says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people. We belong to Him. We're the sheep of his pasture. I wonder tonight, are we a good sheep? (laughs) Uh, Some of us here tonight have pets at home. Some are cats, some are dogs. I'm not a cat person. Uh, Well, it depends on how they're cooked, I guess. But I shouldn't have said that. I heard Brother Andy say that one time. I thought, that is hilarious. I'm not a cat person. Uh, we have a dog in our house. I wouldn't even really say that I'm a dog person. But for whatever reason, that dog is latched on to me. And uh, we know that there are times that our pets over the years have done things that we did not want them to do. Perhaps in our house, maybe during a thunderstorm. I remember as a kid, we had a little dog at the house and didn't matter where we put her, she would chew through whatever we had her in when the thunderstorms came. 
And I remember having a big hole in our bathroom door where she literally chewed through a wooden door, through a, a, a th- thunderstorm. My dad used to get so angry at her. One night he, she was howling and chewing through our uh, another door in our house, uh, the, the laundry room door. We couldn't keep her in the bathroom anymore because she'd just jump through the hole. We put her in the laundry room and the thunderstorms came about 2 o'clock in the morning, and my dad was so angry. Had it not been for us kids, he'd have gotten rid of that dog a long time ago. And I remember hearing him the next morning as he woke up, and he came limping into the kitchen to have breakfast. And I looked down at his bare feet, and his little toe was sticking sideways, and it swollen up big and blue. And I said, Dad, what happened? He said, Penny was chewing through our door last night. He said, I went in there, and I was going to kick her as hard as I could. And he said, I missed and hit the laundry table. There are times that we have pets and we have animals and we look at them and we think, boy, they they sure messed up a lot and there's not a lot of beauty in having the sheep. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. You don't want to have a mess, don't have the animal. But God has chosen us to be His sheep. And as unlovable as we are, he still loves us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Having said all that of chapter 3, let's look now at verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. We can sure tell the Lord, tell about the Lord, can't we? When we have the right view of Him, when we see Him in verse 3, it makes it a whole lot easier to go into a lost world and make a joyful noise about the Lord Jesus Christ. It causes the Christian to walk with a spring in his step and a glint in his eyes. We think and realize of who God is in our life. Amen. There ought to be a difference, by the way. There ought to be a joy. There ought to be a gladness. There ought to be a comfort in the Christian life as we see God as we do in verse 3. And the Bible says that we are to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We ought not ever talk about how dull and how difficult the Christian life is. The Christian life is wonderful because we have a great Savior. Then he gets to verse uh, verse number uh, verse number two. He says, "Serve the Lord with what gladness, not with obligation, not with duty, not out of regretful obedience. We're to serve the Lord with gladness." And by the way, when we have the right view of God and we look at Him as we, the psalmist does in verse number 3, when we serve God, it'll be out of gladness. And it ought be, shouldn't it? I've seen so many Christians that serve God and they almost act like they're mad about it. Well, i got to go serve God today. I have two kids at home. Isn't it amazing how kids are all different? One of them loves school. In fact, Friday she did two days of school in one day. Can you believe that? Just because she loves school so much. I told Jonathan, I said, Jonathan, if you do the same thing, we won't just take Monday off. We'll take Tuesday off. He said, no way, Jose. (laughs) He didn't want to have any part of that. One of them loves school. The other one doesn't love school. One of them has a heart for it. The other one does it because Dad said so, and he knows that if he doesn't, He's going to be having that same thing happen to him that I had happen when I was 17 years old and backtalked my mom. And there are a lot of Christians that serve the Lord regretfully. Well, I've got to do it. The Bible says I have to. Pastor's been preaching on it. 
If I don't, everybody's going to look at me and think I'm not that good of a Christian. So I better go. And those, sadly, many times are the motivating factors. Those, sadly, are the things that cause us to go out and serve God, isn't it? What others think of us. What the pastor may think of us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do it because we just love God so much? We realized and knew that He was God. We knew that He was the one that made us and not we ourselves, that we were His people and the sheep of His pasture and He our shepherd. We served Him because we loved Him. Served the Lord with gladness. My dad used to say years ago there are a lot of Christians who have just enough Christianity to make themselves miserable. They've gotten saved, and there's joy in the fact that we're saved in our way to heaven, but that's as far as they ever go. They never grow in the Christian life. And they miss out on some of the greatest joys of the Christian life. The first time you win somebody to Christ, your heart's going to about explode and come out of your chest. You're going to be so joyful about that. When you watch for the very first time God do an actual miracle right before your eyes, It's going to be almost as exciting as the day you got saved. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence. And I love this one with singing. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His goodwill, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. We come into God's presence. There's a glory there, isn't there? There's something that just causes our hearts to soar. You ever, you ever get to the point where you're meditating on God or perhaps reading Scripture and you're thinking about some things, maybe even you're praying, and it gets so sweet you just can't hardly stand it? You ever been there? I, I don't know. There's times that there's, I'm glad there's people that aren't around when I'm doing some of that stuff. Because if they were around, they'd think, man, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> there are times I get so excited. Brother, Brother Harold said something. Was it Wednesday night? Wednesday night, I think it was. Child of the King. And man, I got, I, I've been thinking on that all week. That, that excited me. I, I know that, and I've, I've thought on that before. But I hadn't thought of it for a while. And he brought out that thing, hey, we're a child of the King. And that grabbed a hold of me, and I mean, it just, I, I got excited. And there were some times, and I'm glad some people weren't around this week. Because <laughs> that's amazing to me. We're a child of the King now. The Bible says here that when we come into His presence, we're to come into His presence with singing. It's easy to do when we understand verse 3. Look with me, if you will, verse number 4. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. We take praises on Wednesday night. It's easy to do when we understand verse 3, isn't it? It's not hard to come up with something. We say, well, I wonder if anybody's got a praise or a testimony tonight. I, I, it, ought to be, it, it ought to be when we have praise time. And I, 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 don't, I know there's times people don't like to speak in front of people. I understand that. But it ought to be when, we, when it comes time for praise time that we have to cut you off and say, you know what, if we're going to get some preaching done tonight, we've got to stop praising here. Because there is so much good that God has done for us, how could we ever not take the time to thank Him for it? We come into His presence with singing and into His courts with, in verse number 4, enter into His gates with thanksgiving. And I want you to notice this, and into His courts with praise. In Hebrews chapter number 5, we have the great privilege and ability to come into the very throne room of God. 
to come boldly, the Bible says, to the throne of grace. We have the opportunity to come into His very throne room, into His very court with praise. I don't think there's a time we ever come to the Lord that we don't spend some time thanking Him and praising Him for all that He's done and all that He is. And when we understand verse number 3, that's not hard to do at all, is it? I remember as a kid, there were times on Wednesday night that my dad would, after the singing service, get up and say, do we have anybody that's got something to be thankful for tonight? And one person would raise their hand and begin to brag on God and tell about what God had done in their life. And somebody over here would raise their hand, and then over here, and then over here. And I remember a handful of times in our church over the years when I was a kid, looking up at the clock, and it'd be 8.15, 8.20, and people are still raising their hands, praising God for something that He's done for them. Didn't even get to the preaching time. Why? Because when we, remember, when we understand verse number 3, it's not hard to come into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord, He is good, isn't He? The Bible says here, for the Lord is good. It doesn't say that He does good things. He is good. It's part of who He is. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Aren't we glad of that? And His truth, I love this, endureth to all generations. This word endureth, it gives the idea that it's not just there, but it stands the test of time. It stands the onslaughts that have been brought against it over the years to discredit it. It has endured. It has withstood. It has remained unshakable, unmovable. Aren't you glad tonight that we have a Word of God that does not change? It is enduring to all generations. There's not a storm that's taken place that has shaken this blessed book. There's not anything that has ever been brought against it that would cause our hearts to question its truth. It's always been something for every generation that we can look to and say, we don't believe it just contains the words of God. We believe it is the Word of God. It endureth forever. A lot of people have tried to destroy it over the years, haven't they? Voltaire said years ago when he was alive that within his lifetime he believed that the Bible would disappear off the scene and it would fall by the wayside. And yet here we are so many years later. And Voltaire's all but forgotten about. But God's Word still stands. It has endured. It's easy for us to understand the rest of this psalm when we can look at the nucleus of it. We can look at verse number 3. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He owns us. We belong to Him. And he is our shepherd. And we shall not want. Amen? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, a message of encouragement tonight. Something to help us to draw our hearts and our minds to you. The time that we can spend having a proper view of who you are. Lord, it gets difficult in this life. So many things, it seems, 
vie for our attention and cause us to be tempted to be drawn away. So many things that we look at, and as the psalmist did, the prosperity of the wicked. He said his feet had well nigh slipped as he looked at the prosperity of the wicked. Yet his eyes were not in the right place. Then he says he went into the house of God and understood therein. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put our focus in the right place. A very simple psalm, and yet so profound in our lives. Lord, you are our God. We believe and understand that you've made us, therefore we are your people, we belong to you. And Lord, we understand that we are your sheep. And I pray that as sheep you would help us to yield and submit ourselves to the shepherd's voice and leading. That the chastening will not need to be very often. But that we will yield to the direction and the protection that you offer us. Father, I pray that as we go through this week, as we have opportunity to serve you with our lives, that we will take into account verse 3. That it will allow us to make joyful noises about you. And we'll serve you with gladness and not out of sorrow or obligation. We'll enter into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. That we'll be thankful unto you and bless your name. Because, Lord, tonight we understand that you are good. Your mercy is everlasting. And that your word, your truth, endureth for all generations. Father, dismiss us with your blessings. We thank you so much for your word and how it teaches and directs and guides. And how it's used to draw our hearts closer to you. Help us this week to share it with those that need to hear it this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.